Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hi there. Welcome to Grief to Growth Podcast. Your host is Brian Smith, spiritual seeker, best-selling author, grief survivor, and life coach. Brian believes that the worst tragedies of life provide the greatest opportunity for growth. Brian says he was planted, not buried, and he is here to help you grow where you've been planted by the difficulties in life. In each episode, Brian and his guests will share what has helped them to survive and thrive. It is his sincere hope this episode helps you today. This is part three of my interview with Alba Mann. And as you found out, if you listen to parts one and two, and if you haven't, I suggest you do. Alba had an incredible experience, uh, a shared death experience with her daughter, Aurelia, who taught her a lot about life in a very short amount of time. So in this part, what we tried to do is go back and fill in some of the things that you might have questions from on the first two parts and also um, to explain a little bit more about the dreams that Alba had and I got to ask her some, some more detailed questions as we got into this third part. So I hope you enjoy. Okay. Hey, everybody. This is Brian Smith back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And today I've got a follow-up interview with Alba Mann. And uh, I want you to go back and listen to the interview I did with her recently where she talked about her joint near-death experience or shared death experience with her daughter, Aurelia, who, who died um, during childbirth. And it was a really amazing experience. Alba had some prim- some precognitive dreams where she knew this was going to happen or had dreams that, that kind of envisioned it beforehand and learned some really valuable lessons in her in her NDE. And her NDE was so detailed and so rich that we actually ran out of time. So I'm having her back today to tell me a little bit more about the premonition she had and to fill in some of the gaps that so um Make sure you go back and listen to that, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But with that, I want to welcome back again to Grief to Growth, Alba Mann. Hello, everyone. Uh, Brian, thank you for having me. Yeah, Alba. Um, I'm happy to talk about, yeah. Yeah, thanks for being back. And as I was saying in the intro, you're, you're, experience was so rich. We were so, I was so enwrapped and so uh, fascinated listening to it. I didn't get a chance to ask you many questions, but you wanted to fill in some gaps about some of the premonit- some of the precognitive dreams you had, or some of the premonitions you had. And then I want to ask you some more questions just to fill in some of the gaps. Yeah. Uh, well, I described three of my premonition dreams in my book, uh, Proof of Eternity, but actually it started at around the age of 12 years, when I was swimming with a friend uh, during summertime and um, she and I were talking about um, what ideas we had for our future. And she mentioned that she would like to have children when she was 
uh, old enough to have them. And she asked me what I thought about that, if I wanted to have children later on. And I said, yes, but uh, definitely not, uh, you know, a single child. I would like to have two or three. And for some reason, I had this distinct feeling that one of my children would die at some point. And it was such a strange thought and such a weird feeling of being absolutely sure about that was going to happen in my life at some point in the future that um, at the age of 12, I just decided I must um, find a solution for this problem. And my first solution was, well, I would try to try to get around that. And um, I had this idea, well, I wouldn't have any children, so I wouldn't have to, um, you know, get in trouble with this whole topic. And I would just put it aside and and live my life without any of those problems. Mm -hmm. And the second thought that I had was, well, if I decided to have children, then I would definitely not have just one because with this strange feeling that one of my children would be uh, dying while I was still alive, i didn't want to run this risk of just having a horrible experience with just one child. So I decided that would be kind of a, you know, emergency situation. I would just ma- try to make sure it wouldn't be that bad, but mm. I thought forgot about it pretty soon. I didn't think about it that much and it was just a very strange, you know, feeling. And I actually wasn't interested in that at all. When I was 17, I, um, did a lot of paintings. And one of the paintings I decided I want um, to make a painting about my life, like about my future life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't plan anything about it. I just put some uh, colors together and out of nothing, um, I painted different people standing uh, at one side of this picture. And it was sure that um, they had distinct features. So it I had this feeling that they were real people, but I had no idea who it was. And um, there were two of them at one side, and then there was a little gap. And then uh, there were the ones on the other side. And I had no idea why there was a gap between them. But um, I found this painting uh, after my daughter had died. And it was a real shock to me to find it because I could see the personal features of all of my children that were alive uh, at that time, I saw that, you know, just I could recognize all of my children on this picture. Hmm. And I even saw that there was this little gap between my second and my fourth child where my third child should stand, where she, where Aurelio should stand. And there was no nothing. So there was a little place for her a space left Mm. so that she wasn't forgotten but she wasn't among my children that were alive and this was really yeah it shattered me to see that that I had had some foresight at the age of 17 without any idea what it actually meant and I remember uh, that one of my friends asked me uh, who these people were that occurred in this painting and I said I have no idea and I think it's you know nice people I had this impression that it was holy people that were praying for me that was my impression at the time I had no idea why they would pray for me or you know what they would pray for 
I just knew that they meant well for me and that they were nice people. And I was glad to have them on this picture about my life, but I had no idea that this would be my children. So this was very uh, remarkable at the age of 17. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the beginning at around 20, I uh, had another premonition, but it was a flashback. I saw the, the line of my life and it looked a little bit like a, DNA, it was twisted and turned, but it was a kind of a line that was in motion. And there were three red dots, big red dots on the three different spots on my uh, line of life. And I realized that, you know, where, where I had already a child born at that time. So my first child was one of those dots. And I mm -hmm. saw two other dots in the future. And I realized that this meant that I would have three children um, and I saw at what age they, they would be born, which seemed strange at the time because there was no logic behind it. And I asked myself why I would, you know, have them born in this pattern. It seemed kind of strange, but mm. it later on, I realized that this is exactly the, the years that they were born. I just saw them in, um, in the right uh, place at the right age uh, in my life. And um, I knew that uh, out of these three children, there was one son um, and I had a son already at that time. Mm -hmm. I knew that one of them was a son one of them was a daughter, but I couldn't tell anything about the third one. And I knew that two of them uh, in the future, when they were grown up, I knew in what direction they would, you know, go, um, go to work and, and live later on. So I had this idea that one of them was uh, in the West of where I'm living. And one of them uh, was going to study a little bit of the East side of, of where I was at, but mm -hmm. about the third child, I couldn't tell anything. And I was trying to grasp where is this child, you know, mm -hmm. uh, where is it going to live at that time when the others are already out of uh, our household and, already grown up and, and studying somewhere else. And I couldn't even tell if it was a boy or a girl. I I didn't know anything about this third child. And I realized that this meant that this child is the one who is going to uh, die. And I had no idea which one of those three it would, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. it would be. So it actually was a pretty stressful situation for me to be confronted with this kind of facts and and not being able to um yeah to put it in a time frame or put it in in a logical mindset if it was my first child my second or my third this this was a little bit stressful for me at the time but i didn't think much about it anymore i i had a lot to do at that time mm -hmm. i was still studying so there was a lot on my mind and i didn't really think about it for a long time i just forgot about it and the year um, after that, or maybe the second year after that, about eight years before um, Aurelia would be born and uh, dead, I had this very strange dream that shook me to my core. I, I remember I woke up in the morning and I had this idea that this was such an outstanding dream of such importance that I have to make sure that I don't forget any little detail about it. And so I, I went uh, downstairs uh, and I wrote it down uh, on a piece of paper and, and 
actually was several pieces of paper because it was a long dream. Mm -hmm. uh, but I realized that it had a meaning uh, for the future for my life, but I couldn't understand anything because I couldn't relate uh, it to my life at that point. But I knew it would be very important in the future and I would want to get back to it. And this dream was when I found it um, already after Aurelia had been uh, born. When I found it, it this was um, the most re revealing thing that ever happened to me, except for my near-death experience. Mm -hmm. Because looking back uh, from that point in my future, I understood every little detail that was in the stream. It showed me um, the emergency operation. It showed me the grief. It showed me the recovery from the grief, um, the physical recovery from the grief, the emotional recovery from the grief, the philosophical recovery from the grief. And it told me, uh, for instance, it was so specific. It was mind blowing at the time when I found it, I was, uh, at the one hand, I was relieved because I realized that this meant that all of it was already planned in a way that was so specific that it was appalling to me at the time when I found it. Um, and there was a, two angels in it. One angel was um, mentioned during my pregnancy. So before she, uh, Aurelia was born, there was already an angel touching my belly, it said. And the explanation was right in the next line saying that this angel was trying to warn me and to console me both at the same time. And uh, when I read that, it was so emotional. Everything meant um, a connection to reality. And this was unbelievable to read it. And there was another angel at the end of the dream um, that healed me. And again, it was such a unbelievable, unbelievable thing to uh, hear or read that there was at the beginning of the dream, a wound in my belly, like the cesarean section. Um, it was the size of a fist and it was just, you know, just in the middle of my belly and you could see through me. So this meant that there was a big wound that, uh, you know, would tear my whole life apart, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, it was such um, amazing details that all meant one part or the other uh, of the little details that came to life uh, in reality later on. Mm -hmm. And I uh, just found a dream among other stuff that I had put aside uh, since my student years. So this, this was a dream that I was shocked at when I had it, but I didn't think about it for years, nearly a decade until I found it again. And there were two other dreams that I had that were very specific about um, the pregnancy and the birth. And one of them was recurring. So it recurred every week and mm -hmm. it showed me the way that my baby would be born, that, you know, that she wasn't um, able to live a long life, but that she was too weak to actually uh, live on and that she had to be cared for by other people, that she would be taken from me, uh, that I wouldn't know the people who would take her and that I would get her back uh, when she was not alive anymore. So that mm -hmm. was actually also the truth. Uh, at the time when I had um, her for the first time, when I was embracing her for the first time, 
um, she was already dead for a week and I had to, you know, wait until I was released from the hospital. And mm -hmm. um, that's when I saw her for the first time. And uh, in my dream, uh, it was, Uh, it was a little package that I had been sent to me so that I would get her back because my uh, my deepest urge was to get back together with her and find her. And I got her to my name, to my address, and she was already um, not alive anymore at that point. And everything was in the stream. But unfortunately, um, I didn't understand it. And I was talking about it with other people with friends, but nobody could explain any of these details. You know, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, my child was very small at the time in the dream, uh, whereas she was already like um, in the fifth of, or sixth month. And she was a lot bigger than, than she appeared in this dream. And nobody could give me any explanation of what this was supposed to mean. Right. And then there was a very peaceful dream. That was um, the last dream that I had. Um, It showed details of her funeral and uh, very beautiful details. Uh, one of the details was that my mom uh, took all her flower buds in her garden and uh, went to the grave uh, mm -hmm. at the day that the funeral was supposed to happen. And um, with two heavy baskets, she went uh, to the cemetery all by herself, not, not telling anyone about it not even me and my husband. And at the, um, at the moment when I was standing next to the grave and, and I saw that uh, her little coffin was layered down so that she would rest uh, on the ground. And, and at that moment, when I saw all these flowers and she was resting on a bed of flowers, I was really touched because of course I remembered my dream and the sequence in my dream where she was actually really laying down on a bed of flowers and, Uh, it was unbelievable to have this memory and to know that I had never told my mom, I had never told my husband, mm -hmm. because he, by that time he was already fed up with anything that was a dream that I had. Mm -hmm. So I didn't tell him about this dream and I didn't tell my family because I didn't want to make anyone upset. And so it was really touching that so many of those details actually happened in reality later on. Yeah. Well, and for people that are listening, if you want more details about the, the three most recent dreams, Alba did mention those in our first interview. Um, and it's just, it's incredible to me, Alba, that this kept coming back to you over and over again, as you said, from the time you were like 12 years old. So I, I have two mm -hmm. questions for you. The first is, what do you think the purpose is of these premonitions? And secondly, do you think that our lives are planned or were these just possibilities that you were seeing? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called Fan Mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. No, I, I don't think it was just possibilities. Um, to me, actually, um, in hindsight, all these premonitions were 
a huge help to accept my fate because it was a very difficult time for my whole family. And um, I felt blessed to have had all those premonitions that obviously seemed to prepare me for that huge loss in the future. And I think um, it was just something that was given to me because obviously I have a an ability to intuitively um, look a little bit uh, behind the veil or, or to the other side, as it also happened uh, in my near-death experience. And um, I don't know why that is, but to me, it was a huge help. And even though it was kind of not really easy to explain uh, when all these premonitions took place, uh, later on, I realized that they were given me to help me and to prepare me for uh, what was uh, going to happen in the future. And I don't think it was only possibilities. I have have been thinking about um, how much uh, was already, you know, unchangeable in the future. I I tried to figure out what my near death experience meant mm-hmm. because, in my own opinion, I think my child had free will either to come back and uh, give us some more time and try to um, heal this whole situation that was unbelievable uh, for both of us, my husband and me. Nobody really understood what was going on, why our child was taken to another clinic, what really happened to her or to me. Um, My husband had heard that we were still in life danger, but I had no idea about it. And I think this was a kind of a bonus time that my daughter was um, actually given uh, out of her own decision, out of her own free will. And I think she was able to see into the future and see those possibilities, the bad ones, if she wouldn't come back, all this crisis and, and conflicts that my husband and I would have to face without her help. And even me uh, being in a situation after an emergency operation and still uh, bleeding internally, still being in this process of dying, if she would not have come back and uh, bought a little bit of time so that we could uh, connect to each other because she was obviously trying to reach out to me um, because I was in a way uh, the only person that could uh, change anything about it because my husband actually didn't blame me for anything but I was blaming him. So actually I was the only person that she had to reach to change the situation. And she did. And I think that's a bonus that she gave our family to come back and explain every, everything and try to change my mind. And that was not foreseen. I think this is what she actually did just out of love for us, to be honest, to help us. And at some point, I realized that maybe she was even thinking about her future siblings because at that point she might have seen those different possibilities on the other side and and might have even realized that the life of future children depended on me uh, realizing all those insights that were lacking in my attitude at the point before dying. So I think actually everything was planned with a uh, probability of 99%. That's my um, opinion. At that point, I'm I'm of this opinion that nearly everything was already decided. And there was a little, little, a little gap out of um, 
nowhere out of free will in this little tiniest moment when I had this feeling of bliss and, and happiness and euphoria wash over me just right before getting up and, uh, and actually the accident taking place. And I think this little uh, time frame of euphoria might have been the only moment where I could have changed um, the whole setting and maybe this accident wouldn't have happened, but uh, it could have happened in another way or at another day. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it was supposed to happen in, at some point. Yeah, I think this is a fascinating subject and people have very, very strong opinions one way or the other on free will versus things being predetermined. And there's really good evidence for both. And, um, and I, and I, I know people, and I, in fact, I'm thinking of a friend right now who says, well, you, you can't have both. It's got to be one or the other. And I'm really of the opinion that it is somewhat both. But that's huh? not true. But that's not true because, uh, with those six premonitions, sorry, um, with these six premonitions, it means to me that, uh, a lot of it was already, mm-hmm. uh, going to happen anyway. So it was planned. But still, there was a little bit of free will in it. So I would say maybe 1% of choice that was still left. And there wasn't any any more um, freedom in this whole situation as I look at it now. And yeah. I, think, uh, to, I think, to be honest, uh, losing a child um, is, I think, the, ut- the utmost complication in life that anyone could ever face Mm -hmm. and i think it's a spiritual test of some sort and um a lot of people feel that uh, if they believe in in god they feel like god has deserted them or or disappointed them or um even yeah maybe put them in a bad place because of something Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. and um i want to say that i I think it's the other way around. I think, um, as uh, Dr. Kubler-Ross put it, um, God is a great teacher and we are all his students. And some of us uh, just learn how to read and write. And, uh, you know, and some of us are going to graduate soon. Mm. And uh, some of us are writing their master's degree at the point, And some of us are uh, busy with their PhD. And I think uh, there's nothing... Um, higher as a test that anyone could be put through uh, than the loss of a child. And I think this is the ultimate PhD of the university of life, if you want to put it that way. We'll get back to grief to growth in just a few seconds. Did you know that Brian is an author and a life coach? If you're grieving or know someone who is grieving, his book, Grief to Growth, is a best-selling, easy-to-read book that might help you or someone you know. People work with Brian as a life coach to break through barriers and live their best lives. You can find out more about Brian and what he offers at www.grieftogrowth.com, www.grief2growth.com. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash grieftogrowth, www.patreon.com slash G-R-I-E-F, the number two, G-R-O-W-T-H, to make a financial contribution. And now, back to Grief to Growth. And I think it's um, it's a question of why does it happen? I think that 
it isn't uh, just a coincidence. It's not just a, um, you know, happening for no reason, but it is uh, actually God is trusting us uh, with the hardest problem on earth that ever could occur. And he's giving us this, um, I don't know how to put it. It's like, it's a bonus. He's, he believes that we can face that situation and overcome it. So it's, I think, a bonus trust from God, you know, in everyone who is um, facing the situation. And um, I think it's a privilege in a way it's, it's hard and it's difficult and it must um, at some point must even feel impossible to overcome it, but um, healing is possible and overcoming the grief and overcoming the pain is possible. Mm -hmm. And I think it just means that God believes that we can do this and we can get out of it in an, in a good and healthy way. And, and healing is important. And I hope to make a contribution with my book uh, to people who are grieving for a loved one. It doesn't have to be a child, but just grieving for someone that you have lost and, and try to grasp what this means for the future in your life. And I hope to make a, a big uh, difference in people's lives with my book. Yeah, I, I think you will. I think you, I think you definitely will. And it, it's, as I, as I was listening to you talk, I was thinking about a mother that I met with just a few days ago. And as a, as parents and my daughter passed away when she was 15, you know, six years, six years ago, you know, the first question we always ask is why me, why did this happen to me? And mm -hmm. Am I being punished? Did I do something wrong? Did I not have enough faith? You know, those types of questions. And I love the way that you just completely turn that around to the other, the other. It's more like, you know, why not me? And, and we've, you know, the, the way that you've taken this and you've grown from it, I think is, is inspiring to all of us. And hopefully parents that are listening to this will start to realize that it's not a punishment. It's not a bad thing. It's not even a random thing. It's not just, it didn't just happen. And, and your dreams show us that this, this was in the cards for you from the time, you know, probably before you came here, that this was always going to be your path. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe that NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, and that, um, something is also very important that I wanted to mention. Uh, exactly this friend of mine that used to uh, talk with me at the age of 12 years old, uh, she was pregnant at the same time with her first child when I was pregnant uh, with my third child, Aurelia. So uh, mm. we even had the due date in the same week. And uh, this was 
shocking to me that to realize that uh, if she had been in my place, she would have died. Because when I came to the hospital after having uh, some tests done, um, the midwife told me to go back home because I, my child would be fine. And uh, there was nothing to worry about. And only because I had already some experience as a mother and it was my third child, I knew instantly that nothing was uh, um, as it was supposed to be. And there was no way I was leaving this room. And I told her, uh, I'm not going to leave this room unless I have seen uh, uh, how my child is doing. And I want an ultrasound and I am not going to leave uh, without having got it. And uh, this ultrasound was actually um, the reason for me um, to survive because if I would have gone home, the doctors told me I would have bled to death within two hours. So if she would have been in my uh, position, she would listen. She would have listened to these people and gone home and died. And so um, I will never forget when she visited me with her pregnant belly and I was in this ICU unit just um, in intensive care. And um, she came to see me and it was such a relief to see that uh, she was um, trusting my feelings as a friend enough to come and, and, and see me because mm -hmm. other friends told me, you know, on the phone, how can she even show up uh, if you have just lost your own child and she has, uh, has her child still alive and, and kicking in her belly? I said, uh, why shouldn't she? you know, come to visit me because I was happy to see her and connect to her. And um, we even talked about it, that she was happy that um, in a way that uh, she could still see me and, and talk to me because she, of course, knew that I could have died in, instead of getting rescued in time. Right. And um, so there's a big bit of controversy, controversy about this topic and about what friends should do or not do in and in my book i gave a lot of examples what was helpful from my friends and also some examples of things that didn't help at all and what i found is that anyone who visited me and told me what this um loss should mean to me uh every single sentence about any religious or philosophical interpretation of the loss of my child. It hurt me mm -hmm. as if someone would stir with a knife in an open wound. Mm -hmm. And at the point then I, I just had this feeling that this was um, too much for me. If somebody would want to define what my fate should mean to myself, it mm -hmm. felt like overbearing. And later on, I found that the problem that I had with it was actually just because people were trying to, um, yeah, to interpret my own um, relation to God or to the future of my life mm -hmm. uh, with their own uh, mindset. And this was just something that I couldn't accept at the moment when, when it happened. And, mm -hmm. and also not later on, I understood that they meant well, but I wanted to be as um, there's a saying to be the captain of your fate. I, I just didn't want to um, have anyone meddle with what anything in my life should mean to me. And I definitely didn't want for them to, um, to try to decide things for me. 
Yeah, yeah, I can definitely understand that. And, and one of the things I wanted to do, we talked b- before I started recording that I wanted to fill in a little bit. And I know there's some some very, very personal details. So you tell as much or as little as you, as you want. But when we talked earlier, I wasn't clear what type of accident you had that led to Aurelia you know, being delivered early. So as, as much as you want, can you fill in what the accident was? And I think it's important as to where you are today in your life. So um, just go ahead and fill that in, please. Um, the accident happened at home. Uh, when I went to bed, it was pretty late. And my husband and my little toddler, my my other daughter, was already asleep. And um, he had forgotten to change her diaper. So I was trying to get him uh, to, you know, change her and, and just do his duty. And he was too tired to do it. So I actually just stepped in and, and I decided to get up and, and not just leave her like that and when i was in the bathroom and had changed her diaper i just slipped and uh, fell onto the side of the bathtub with my belly and with my whole um body and unfortunately the placenta was up front on the belly outside so if the placenta would have been at the back side of of my uterus nothing much would have happened. That's what the doctors told me later on. It was just a combination of, of very unfortunate circumstances. Mm -hmm. And I blacked out immediately as I uh, had hit the bathtub and I fell down and I was unconscious for some moments, but um, as, as soon as I could, I, I tried to force myself to open my eyes because I heard my toddler cry and, I wanted to make sure nothing had happened to her, but I wasn't even able to get up. I had so much pain. Um, I wasn't even able to sit up. So I had to, you know, uh, reach out my hand and, and try to touch her to calm her down. And I was talking to her and my husband came in and um, trying to find out what had happened because I had been screaming at the moment when I fell mm-hmm. and um and he took our daughter outside, but he didn't know how to get her dressed. I had told him we must go to the hospital and I need an ultrasound uh, at once. But unfortunately, we have four doctors in my family. So I meant to say uh, our child is in life danger. We have to get to the hospital right now. Uh, please get our toddler dressed because she was just, you know, in her nightgown mm-hmm. and um, in her pajamas. So I told him just get her dressed and and we must go immediately and 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 go to the clinic and he just heard me say uh, I want to go to the hospital he didn't have any idea why I had told him that our daughter wasn't moving uh, but in his opinion that didn't mean much because you know sometimes babies in the belly just don't move Mm -hmm. so he didn't make this connection to realize that we were in a life-threatening situation. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even able to, to stand up. So I I pulled myself up to the side of the bathtub, trying to get up, but I had to sit down. And my whole belly was absolutely um, hard, unnaturally hard. And the doctors told me later that this is a, something that happens when the placenta is... Uh, pulled away from the uterus the uterus has a an instinct reaction to um to try to get as hard as possible to you know to save the child mm. and 
when my husband came back in trying to get me outside so that I would um, get our daughter dressed, I told him I can't do it because I'm in too much pain. I told him I just fell and, you know, I just can't do it. I can't even stand up. And he said, I don't know which clothes to get for her and stuff like that. And I was getting angry with him and I just yeah. told him, take the, take the, uh, the top one thing from every pile and, and you will get to dress in no time. And then he asked me, can't you do that? And at that point I said, just where is she now? Don't I hear her cry? And he said, yes, she's in the bedroom. I, I put her down on the, um, on our carpet, on our soft carpet in front of the bed. And uh, I said, how could you leave a baby like a toddler at her age? How could you leave her in another room and just uh, go and talk to me without taking her with you? You know, she's mm -hmm. in shock because I had been screaming. So we had this little conversation that was actually a discussion. Mm -hmm. And um, I told him, just get her ready and, and go back uh, and, and get her in the car. And he felt that I was too unfriendly in my tone talking to him. Mm -hmm. So he slammed the door shut of the bathroom and he left. And I heard my daughter cry and I didn't see what had happened or if, she, if uh, he was trying to console her or not. So I had this impression that he didn't do much to console her because she was still screaming in the other room. Mm -hmm. So I forced myself to get up and you know, with my both hands on my belly, because I was in a lot of pain. I was walking very, very slowly to the bedroom and, and trying to console my daughter. And on my way there, I heard that our front door was slammed shut. And I was thinking maybe he went outside to, um, uh, to smoke a cigarette, but, mm -hmm. uh, I was, um, uh, calling for him and he didn't respond. So I had to get my daughter ready. And when I was downstairs in the front of our house, I realized that our car was gone. I realized maybe he went out of the driveway. So I even walked with my daughter out of the driveway to check if he was still uh, just around the corner. and There was no one there. Mm -hmm. And when I wanted to call him, I realized that my phone was on the second floor in the bedroom and I had forgotten to take it with me. So I had to get upstairs again, uh, still bleeding heavily internally. And I think that's what was the reason why they couldn't stop the bleeding in the first place, because I had had too much um, pressure on my body in this situation. And I, I, I couldn't really recover from it for hours until after my NDE, Uh, when I had the second emergency operation, then that was the time when they actually stopped the bleeding and, and saved my life. So I know, Alba, that, and, and again, people can go back to the first interview because there's so much to cover here. But um, you were, at that night, you were, you were done. You were planning on leaving your husband. And one of the lessons you learned from Aurelia was that, was forgiveness. And so um, you did forgive your husband. And um, you're, are you still with him today? Yes, we are still married and together. And, uh, what I learned that night was that, of course, from my point of view, I was in anger and rage. I was full of hatred when I was in this ICU. Uh, I was counting the minutes that everything had taken from the accident to my, uh, operation, emergency operation in the hospital. And I didn't 
I didn't know how to ever be able to forgive what had happened. And I was blaming my husband uh, from the bottom of my heart. I couldn't ever imagine that there would be any reason uh, how or why I should ever be able to forgive him. And um, in my near-death experience, uh, my daughter came to talk to me. And we had this long telepathic discussion where she uh, was constantly asking me to forgive him. And I had no idea why I should do that. And I didn't see any consequences for myself or for my inner peace in the future, mm -hmm. no matter if I would die or if I would survive. Mm -hmm. It was uh, crucial for me to find inner peace because otherwise um, the whole time that I would have left uh, of my life would be wasted because of these negative emotions mm -hmm. and talking to my child, I realized that her biggest argument uh, in favor of my husband was that uh, he didn't have any bad in intentions. So he, his intentions were pure and good. He just had not uh, realized what was going on. And that was when she told me, maybe he didn't do it on purpose. So this was the sentence that really tried uh, to turn around my attitude mm -hmm. and uh, it was in my best interest to forgive him not only in his because it wasn't something that I was doing as a favor for him mm -hmm. it was something that I was actually doing to um, save myself in this situation in my near-death experience I was in a spiritual life danger because of all these accusations, all these negative emotions against my husband in the, in the hour of my impending death, this meant um, that I would, yeah, I don't know how to say it. I would waste my life. My life would be uh, covered in these negative emotions forever. The, the purpose of my life would have never been fulfilled if I wouldn't have been able to forgive him. And of course, I didn't realize that I was in life danger until in my near-death experience, I had um, a situation uh, when it was actually shown to me unmistakably that my path was going to end right here, right now. Mm -hmm. uh, if I was not able to change something so profound that it would change the, the course of my destiny. And this was forgiveness. I just realized it in this situation that only forgiveness has that power to change not only the present situation, but also our view of the past and our possibilities in the future. And if you ask me, I think forgiveness is the one uh, biggest um, sign of freedom, being a free person and not uh, having a ball and chain of, of bad emotions, of accusations or hatred or, you know, anger against another human being and, and being forced to take that with you every day of your life. This means imprisonment to me and uh, being able to forgive means freedom because without forgiveness, we are always bound together with the person that we can't forgive. It's like a chain. It's like a huge chain that, that binds us together for the rest of our lives up until this point where one of us can forgive the other one mm -hmm. or, you know, hopefully both of them can forgive, but without forgiveness, we are imprisoned, spiritually imprisoned 
Yeah, Alba, that is, I think such such an important lesson. And, you know, if anybody, you know, and I, I think about people that have lost loved ones and we blame the doctor or we blame the person that sold our, our child drugs or we blame, you know, the the person, the drunk driver or whatever. We, we blame the other person and we hold on to that and we think it's a righteous anger and we think we have the right to carry that with us. Um, but you, your near death experience shows so, so poignantly that we, that's not, it's not just not only our right, but it's, it's holding us back. And if, if you could forgive your husband, and that's why I I thought it was important to go into the accident and why you were so angry. If you could forgive that, then we should be able to forgive pretty much anything. Yeah, that's, that's something that I found, uh, looking at it later on, I, I said to myself, why should I not forgive small mistakes uh, of my husband or, or small events that that hurt me? Uh, if I was able to forgive him for that, I shouldn't hesitate to forgive him for anything that happened later on. Mm-hmm. And something else that is important is that a lot of people who uh, are bereaved parents, they not only blame others, very often they blame themselves uh, saying maybe I should have done something different or in this situation, I shouldn't have reacted this way, or I wasn't the perfect parent that I wished I would have been for my child before it has passed. And the blessing that my near death death experience uh, was for me uh, was actually hearing it from my dying daughter that she told me she can forgive everything. Uh, related to the circumstances of the accident and everything that uh, happened before that and everything that happened later on. Mm -hmm. So I heard it from her personally, and it was such a big relief to know that she was at peace with the situation. And I think my daughter is not an exception. I think all deceased children wish for their parents to know that uh, they have forgiven them. No matter what had happened on the other side, uh, they are given all explanations, all the insight that is missing uh, here on earth. And they have understanding for us much more than we can ever imagine. And I think their biggest wish is for us to find peace with what had happened, know that they are fine, that they are well and alive in eternity. And their only wish is for us to have a good life until we meet again. And they don't doubt that we will meet again. It's for them. It's, it's a fact. And, uh, on the other hand, blaming ourselves, uh, knowing that we could have done things differently is okay. But blaming ourselves means actually we are repeating the hurt of the past. We are bringing it up in every single day in the present and also in the future if we are not able to forgive ourselves as we forgive others. And hearing my daughter tell me, you are free. I didn't understand what she meant when she told me that. But later on in a book about uh, family and, and family relations, I um, I read that sentence and it was, you are free. And then in brackets from guilt. And I realized that what my daughter had tried to tell me was that I am absolutely free of guilt, even though it was actually my mistake that led up to uh, the accident and up to the the fact that she had to die because she was so severely damaged physically from uh, how th- this accident happened. Mm-hmm. And I want to stress something else about forgiveness. We always think forgiveness isn't important, but thinking about uh, the most important prayer 
uh, our Lord's Prayer. If you believe in God, then it's important to know our prayers. And in this prayer, it says, God, forgive us the way that we forgive others. And there is a spiritual law behind it. I think that God wants to forgive us everything. But if we are not willing to forgive others, it's as if his uh, possibilities are bound to the content of our own forgiveness. I can't explain it differently than if you just have a very small cup and your cup is empty, you can't ask for a full cup from God. You have to fill your cup of forgiveness to the brim as much as you can, you know, with the capacities that you have in life mm -hmm. and try to clean your heart. I can't explain it in any different way. Actually, mm -hmm. uh, not forgiving yourself or not forgiving somebody else is like a stain on your clothes, a stain in your back. You can, you don't see it. It doesn't bother you, but everybody else sees it. And mm -hmm. you have to try to get rid of it before uh, your time is over and your life is gone. Because after that, I don't think it's so easy. I think life on earth is the most important thing that we have because it's our preparation for the life after this life. And if we don't give our best in this life, I think it's hard um, to explain <laughs> later on when you have a life review. Uh, it's hard to explain why we didn't do any better. So I think... All of us should just try to um, live our life to the fullest and, and give it everything that we have, especially uh, trying to find forgiveness for ourselves and for others, because this is the only way to get rid of the stains of the past. Yeah, absolutely. Although we're uh, we're out of time again, and I, I so appreciate you coming back and, and filling in some gaps for us and, and talking about the lessons of your NDE and being so generous and open with your experience, I know it's going to touch a lot of people. Uh, and the book is out now, and the book is called Proof of Eternity. It's available on Amazon uh, in Kindle format, and by the time this comes out, it should be out in paperback also. And the author is Alba Mon. That's A-L-B-A-M-O-N-N, -N, and that'll be in the show notes. So, um, Alba, as we wrap up, any any last thing you want to say to the people that are listening? Well, first of all, uh, for all bereaved parents, our children are safe and fine. We don't have to worry about them. We just have to worry about us. And uh, it's a blessing to have been together with our children in the first place. And uh, I would like for everyone who is uh, grieving for a, a child that has passed, just think of the good times that you had together. Uh, try to keep up the things that your child loved. Try to give the good that you have uh, touched with your child in your life and in a lot of other people's lives and try to put that into the future in a, in a way that your child uh, is honored by it and try to see the good of the past and continue on because our children wait for us to do the best we can until we are united again. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Alba. You have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, 
there are three things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron. Head over to www.patreon.com slash grief to growth. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash grief, the number two, growth, and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grief2growth.com. Hey there, if you like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.